quick, if you want to support this show, you can do that at patreon.com slash faithandcapital, where you can also find a growing library of a bunch of bonus content. We got writings there, uh, um, some bonus episodes, and I also just put up some comprehension questions for a revolutionary text there on the mass line. I think you'll find that interesting. But yeah, patreon.com. You can also help boost the show uh, on Spotify and on iTunes by leaving a simple rating and review. Super easy. You just click it, and there you go. You helped boost the show. Okay, that's all I got. Let's dive in. This is the concluding episode of our four-part series called Lessons from Lenin, in which I've generated three main lessons from my reading of Lenin's What is to be Done. For those of us in the United States, genuinely committed to making a unified struggle for national liberation, for every internally colonized nation here, and proletarian democracy for the masses. We're going to discuss principal tasks and mass work today, and in the end, I'll share a little story that I hope will make clear the only reason our neighbors and the people in our communities, our towns, our cities in the United States, will ever come to trust revolutionaries to lead them in a protracted revolutionary struggle. So, Let's begin. For anyone committed to our struggle in what is currently the imperialist, capitalist, settler colony of the United States, what is our principal task in light of our present situation? And how might we go about fulfilling this task? Let's begin by asking, what is a principal task and why is knowing this important? A principal task is simply the primary concern, the most pertinent of jobs, the center of our energy, right? our labor, our thoughts, our activity. When a parent looks at their to-do list for the week or the month, when a student observes what needs to be studied, read, and written for the week, doesn't the parent and the student prioritize some tasks over others by identifying what is primary and secondary in terms of importance? In the same manner, Because our revolutionary struggle is placed on a scientific base, we need to be able to understand what our principal task is of a particular stage of the struggle. If we misunderstand the stage of the struggle we're in, or if we prioritize tasks that are secondary as opposed to primary, then we will unnecessarily prolong our people's freedom by moving us backward as opposed to forward. But how do we know what is our principal task? First, We must understand what is the principal contradiction within the United States. And in my opinion, while I've oscillated back and forth this past year between two conflicting perspectives, I presently think it is correct to say that the principal contradiction in the United States is the settler colonial contradiction. The contradiction between the colonizing nation, white America, and the numerous internally colonized nations of indigenous peoples, Africans, Latinos, and Asians, but we are also a capitalist country living under a dictatorship of the bourgeoisie. And if we study the composition of the working class, we realize that the composition of our proletariat is largely made up of nationally colonized people of color. So if we consider the weight of both national and class subordination, any serious communist knows that the revolutionary proletariat the proportion of the working class who will be most willing and ready to wage and lead a revolutionary struggle because of their material experience and conditions will disproportionately be indigenous, black, Latino, and Asian workers. The other option I've been wrestling with for a while is to say that the principal contradiction 
is simultaneously and equally the colonial and bourgeois contradiction. But I think this perspective erroneously makes two into one, as opposed to recognizing the interrelatedness of the two and handling the contradictions correctly. And to be clear, it's not that the contradiction between our bourgeoisie and our working class is unrelated, right? Our ruling capitalist class is a white male bourgeois colonizer dominating a working class made up of both nationally colonized peoples and white settlers like myself. As communists, it would be an error to throw out the struggle for proletarian democracy and reduce our struggle to a national liberation movement that maintains capitalist rule. It is in the interests of the nationally colonized proletariat to be led not by liberals, but by communists. And so our struggle is one of both national sovereignty for indigenous people and, and lands for black people, for Latinos, and it is for the establishment of proletarian democracy in the socialist transition towards communism. They should not be understood as two separate struggles, but one unified struggle with the understanding that the settler colonial contradiction is our primary contradiction. So, <clears throat> in light of our assessment of our primary contradiction, let's turn to the two main questions of this episode. What is our principal task, and how might we go about fulfilling it? Okay, anyone vaguely familiar with Maoism or Leninism understands that the principal task is the reconstitution of the party. To have a revolutionary struggle, we need a revolutionary party. The people, in order to win their struggle, need a party, okay? Uh, I'm not going to rehash that. That's kind of basic if you're a Maoist or a Leninist. But what's not basic is actually reconstituting the party, right? Actually developing a revolutionary struggle. Now, that is far from basic. So that's what I actually want to spend the rest of our time reflecting on, all right? Now... It goes without saying that I am no expert, right? These are just my thoughts that I'd like to share from my very limited experience, uh, my personal understanding, my analyzing of our situation here in the United States, and from study. That's both personal study and study with uh, comrades. So um, that's what I'm going to offer here. Again, not an expert, not claiming to be an expert. Um, I'm learning and uh, I'm learning with others, and I'm learning through praxis, and I'm learning through study, and I'm learning through conversation, and so this is just what I'm sharing, again, to be clear, not an expert, but I have come to some insights that perhaps might be helpful to some listeners out there. All right, let's begin. I think it's safe to say that most of us, if not all of us, are without a highly disciplined cadre um, or a working group with really, really effective mass work. Um, on one hand, we do have very different levels of cadre organization, different uh, levels of mass work being developed, different levels of, uh, of mass relations, relationships with the masses between these working groups and these cadres. Um, and we also have different levels of struggle from happening within our communities, right? Different levels of mass activity in our towns and cities. And that all needs to be taken into consideration with this. But generally, I do think it's safe to say that, again, uh, the vast majority of us listening here do not have a revolutionary cadre, nor have Maoists in the U.S. really been able to develop effective mass work that is guided by a mass line. So 
you know, I can't prescribe a program, right? That's not the mass line. The mass line assumes that you have done and continue to do a very deep scientific investigation and class analysis, that you're developing actions, events, and programs based on the very real ideas, thoughts, and concerns of the people that you're actually trying to organize, right? Not just people in general or an abstract idea of people like workers or black people or women or you know, just abstract anybody, right? No. Who did you actually talk to? Uh, did you knock on their door? Did you have a conversation with them um, by their car? Did you, like, where did you talk to? Who did you talk to? What did they actually say? And so instead of pretending like there's some universal program that everyone just needs to hear about and start doing in their city or their town, um, what we need to do is we need to literally go talk with our neighbors or the people that we're trying to organize and we need to gather and collect their ideas then we need to put it through our little maoist revolutionary factory and in this little factory it's through our revolutionary communist lens where we're concentrating their ideas finding the more advanced uh, as compared to the intermediate as compared to the backward ideas of the people then once we've developed um, a program based on again what the people actually said what they what was on the hearts and the minds of the community or the specific oppressed group or the group of workers or tenants or again whoever you're trying to organize uh, then we return to the masses with this program and we test it so everyone knows the two-step of the mass line right the, from the masses to the masses but this is kind of like a, a three-step version of the mass line but my main point here is that there is no program that can be prescribed. So if you're looking for a program like, oh, we have to do tenant organizing or, you know, we're Marxists. We have to organize a union right now or we should do something that the Black Panthers did. That's wrong thinking, right? There is no universal program and you and your cadre or your working group are only going to come to the correct programs and the correct ideas uh, by actual social investigation, class analysis, real conversations, and developing genuine relationships and links with the people you're trying to organize. All right, so uh, here's a few things to consider. First, a working group or a revolutionary cadre is only going to be formed through real mass work. Look, study groups are essential, right? They're, they're really, really important. You have to be studying revolutionary theory, revolutionary history, both the history of revolutionary communism, but also your nation's revolutionary history as well. So study groups are very important. Uh, and also modern sources or forms of agitation and propaganda. Here I'm thinking literature, you know, like, like pamphlets, books, essays, flyers. But you also got things like Instagram now, blogs, podcasts. There are lots of mediums through which we can do agitation and propaganda, but, okay, study groups and, say, this, you know, classic newspaper, neither one of these two are sufficient for developing a revolutionary movement or a revolutionary cadre, all right? The most effective means of developing people into genuine revolutionaries is mass work, all right? Practice. Praxis, praxis, praxis. Praxis, of course, we, we study, we do theory, there's a dialectical relationship between the two, but people who aren't practicing and trying to develop actual mass work, it, they're, they're not going to serve the people in the way that they think they may think that they are. So it's really important to ground our focus, I think, right now on mass work. 
But everyone knows that, you know, you can't just go out and just start doing mass work, right? There, there are some things that need to be developed. And so I've made a little list here. And to be clear, uh, this is a cyclical process, right? It's not a linear process. These things need to be developed step by step as opposed to thinking that they'll just magically happen. And so let's walk through some of these things. All right. The first thing is that mass activity, right? Mass actions, programs, campaigns, literally the activity of the people we are trying to organize needs to be developed. And, and in some towns and some cities, guess what? There's actually lower levels of community struggle. I think we can all uh, think about a town or a city that we are familiar with that actually has a very uh, a relatively low level of communal struggle or what I'm calling mass activity. Next is we need to develop mass activists and organizers. Uh, some towns, some cities will have greater numbers of mass activities and mass organizers. Um, some areas of the United States have greater, uh, longer histories of struggle and of organizing. And so while we need to take into consideration the relative level of activity of the people, we also need to take into consideration the actual numbers of activists and organizers that are out there organically developing and, and, and organizing their communities. All right. Then next, um, we need to consider developing our cadres mass work, right? This is, this is kind of like the whole point of this episode, but this is something to be developed. Uh, again, there's no blueprint. There's no universal program that you can just take. Uh, well, they did this in this city, and so let's try it over here. But a working group or a cadres mass work needs to be developed. And then, of course, you know, we're, we're getting to the level of mass consciousness, right? The consciousness of the people uh, and, and the communities that we're trying to organize um, needs to be developed. And also the relationship eventually between the working group or your cadre's relationship to the people, that mass link, that mass relationship, the mass trust, the, the trust between everyday people and your organization, the name of your organization, the work that your organization is known for. But... I think one of the errors that I myself have been wrestling through for the last while now is that I thought we could develop, say, a working group or a cadre and just start an organization and then really work on developing mass activity and mass activists. I knew the consciousness of the people needed to be developed through real struggles, uh, real fights, and yet I didn't really consider this important part of mass activity in the development of mass activists and organizers, right? And people not in our working group or our, our cadre organization, but actual organic local activists out there who are known for having their boots on the ground, who are known for organizing their communities, their neighbors. So we need mass activity to really develop mass activists because how are mass activists developed? Well, mass, you know, through actually leading actions and campaigns, uh, actual actual organizing, actual experience. And uh, from these mass activists and organizers, we can continually pull people into our working group or cadre. And so I've made this list to help us really think about Okay, well, what needs to be, what needs our, our focus? What needs our attention? Of course, we want to reconstitute a party. But guess what? There's a, there's a couple of things that have to happen before our, a party is constituted. We may still say that the party, uh, uh, the reconstitution of the party is still the principal task. But but how do we get there, right? And that's what I'm trying to trying to get at here is is if you don't have a lot of mass active 
activity going on, you're probably not going to have any mass activists and organizers. And if you don't have mass activists and organizers, you're probably not going to develop a really strong, disciplined, militant cadre. And uh, without mass activity, you're not going to develop mass consciousness. Um, and without mass work, well, you're not going to have a real genuine link and relationship between the working group or the cadre and the people, right? So, so it's this cyclical process, but perhaps one needs um, attention right now more than the other. Perhaps you need to focus on identifying the already established activists and organizers, or perhaps uh, making contacts with them and then getting them getting them into a reading group or something and, and eventually developing some uh, mass actions and mass programs. And from these activity, you're developing both the people and the activists, and eventually you can pull them into the cadre, right? So is the principal task the reconstitution of the party? Yes, but how do we get there? That's what we're trying to figure out. And I hope this reflection on developing mass activity, mass activists and organizers, uh, uh, really grounding the development of, of a working group, or perhaps you're at the stage of a, a, of a cadre level organization, really developing that group or organization, not just from revolutionary study, of course, that's obviously a, a basic, and not just from propaganda and education and agitation work, of course, that is also important as well, but real mass organizing, get, getting uh, the masses into actions, into campaigns, doing real mass work based on the mass line from your social investigation and class analysis, right? So again, reconstitute the party, yes, but we can't expect a Maoist, a genuinely Maoist revolutionary party that is truly linked to the masses, that follows the mass line, to emerge without working groups and cadres being developed uh, and being formed by real mass work. Maoists who talk about reconstituting a party but aren't involved in doing any arousal or mobilizing or organizing of their local communities probably don't know much about Maoism. They may know things generally or in theory, but they haven't put it into practice yet. And that simply is not Maoism. I don't know what it is, but it sure ain't Maoism. And the last thing I wanted to discuss, just to wrap up this four-part series, Lessons from Lenin, is on how to develop the trust of the people, right? The only reason that our neighbors and, and our local communities, uh, the masses, will ever come to trust Maoist revolutionaries in a united struggle trust us in leading them in struggles for national liberation and proletarian democracy. Like the only reason that trust will ever be won is because of their experience. It is through the people's experience that they will come to trust revolutionaries. And that trust must be developed over time, but in real concrete life. Our neighbors, right, our co-workers, our community members, they should be able to respond to questions like, how did this organization handle this situation? Or how have they rectified their mistakes? Have they proven the correctness of their programs? Does what they say and do actually work? You know, people will only trust revolutionaries if the revolutionaries can prove to them that they can and should be trusted. Doesn't matter how great their ideas are, how correct their ideas are, 
If you want the people to trust you, you have to win their trust. And earlier at work today, I actually had this experience that I thought really spoke to this need to develop the trust and the support of the people. So I'm a healthcare worker. I work with very sick people. And my job, unfortunately, you know, the work that literally keeps these people alive can be very uncomfortable for these patients and is often fairly painful. I'm talking about grown adults wincing in pain and at times shedding some tears. And these patients are long-term patients and so we have a long-term relationship together. And yet, because our relationship can often mean pain for these people, a sense of trust has to be developed between the workers and the patients, between me and the people I am striving to love and take care of. And so earlier today, I had a patient that doesn't trust a lot of the workers. Uh, she often hurts when we provide the care for her. And so there's just a lot of lack of trust. There's a lot of distrust uh, between her and the vast majority of us workers. And over the last couple of weeks, I've been assigned her and earlier on, she would ask for someone else to come give her her care. And yet, a couple weeks ago, I was like, hey, let me go ahead and try. Let me try to provide the care for you that you are looking for, that you're, you're needing, that you're wanting. I know this is a very uncomfortable, um, a very painful situation for you. Um, I want to be able to provide the best care that you are looking for. And so she let me. And I, I succeeded. I was able to provide for her uh, in the manner that she was really needing. And yet, that was only once. I couldn't just provide good care for her once and she just absolutely trust me. No, I needed to be able to do this for her several times to develop trust, to, to build trust between us, to build a relationship, a, um, a sense of, of mutuality over time. And over the last couple of weeks, I've had her several times. I've been assigned her and uh, I've provided the care that she's looking for. And today, I actually had this moment where I provided her care. It's exactly what she was needing. You know, there was no uncomfortability, no pain. And I said, see, I've got this. I've got you. You know, you can trust me. And she said, yes, you can do this and I can trust you. But Again, I had to prove it to her. I had to prove that she could trust me. And it didn't happen the first time, but it developed over time. So I hope that may serve as a simple example of what we must do to win the trust of the people. Thanks for listening to me ramble about my three lessons that I generated from my reading of Lennon's What Is To Be Done. I hope you found this concluding episode on, what did we talk about? Mass work, principal tasks, developing trust, all this stuff. I hope, hope you found it interesting, helpful. Um, please share this show with friends, with comrades, with people you sit next to in church. And uh, check out our bonus stuff on Patreon. Subscribe us on YouTube. That really helps us as well. And uh, again, iTunes ratings and reviews as well as Spotify. Spotify now has ratings. Uh, really helps other people find this show. We've got two awesome interviews coming up. One on revolutionary art 
in the role art plays in a revolutionary struggle and oh and fitness physical health fitness discipline it's a really cool interview as well and then uh, chris and i we have a couple episodes coming out to you on holy week so thank you for all the support the love the solidarity we appreciate you and we will talk soon Thank you.